Hi everyone. It's Super Sunday, as Mark pointed out. Not because of the Super Bowl going on today, but because we get to meet here together for this week's episode of Lifeline Torah with Rabbi Yaakov Zirkin. I want to thank everybody for joining us today from places near and far. If you're following the Parsha, we've just been studying Parsha Yidro. So it's very interesting that that this uh, person, this complex man, gets his own Parsha. Wow, I can't wait to find out more. May Hashem guide our talk, and may today's study be to the merit of Stacy Kinzer, Teresa Colucci, John Koch, Al Catrone, and Kevin Frazier. Um, everyone, thank you for being here. And Rabbi Zirkin, I give you the floor. Well, thank you. Please welcome everybody. Thanks for being here. And it's right, right started with the Parsha's. Kaz Parsha was Yisro, and he has, definitely is an interesting character. You need to understand, the first question I'm going to ask is, of all people, we have this Parsha is called Yisro, named after a Midianite priest, and when we have the most holiest things going on in this week's Parsha, and that is the giving of the Ten Commandments, and yet we yield to a Midianite priest, which is a very interesting dynamic. So let's understand this a little bit, a little deeper, as to why and what, what this is all about. So Yisro, and not only that, I'm going to add just one little wrinkle to that, he actually happens to be Moshe's father-in-law yet too. Like, but he's got like, everything going in kind of weird places, but he's, he's, he's the star in this week's Pasha. So let's understand what, what we, why is it important to have this Pasha, and why is it important to have Yisro characters right before the giving of the Torah? What is the significance of it? So it's brought down that Yisro as we see in, in, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 11, Yisrael says, Now I know that God is greater than all the gods. Okay? So the now I know, that is the key to this whole discussion. What is it that now we know, he knows? So Rashi comments and says that he saw the splitting of the sea and the war with Amalek. Okay, those are the two things that Rashi comments as to what made him acknowledge this whole thing. The, the Gemara, the Medrash actually says about this, that now I know that he actually was one that tested every idol out there. He, he checked out every single religion that was out there. Because otherwise it doesn't make sense, now I know now has to have been after something that preceded it. What preceded it was the fact that he actually checked everything out. Now, so again, which actually bears the question even farther as to why is this critical to know before the giving of the Torah? Well, <clears throat> so let's understand a little deeper about this. Yisro, he was a Midianite priest, and he was, he checked out everything out there. 
And after everything, he comes to the conclusion that the only true God is that of the that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say it here, but he says those are the words that I'm saying. Okay, meaning, what does that mean in practical terms? Sometimes we go through life and we have choices. We make a choice this way, make a choice that way, but those choices are not really based on any knowledge of everything out there. It just sounds, it sounds good for now. So let's try it out. Or I heard a write-up about it. Let's uh, read a write-up about it. Let's try it out. But there's nothing there intrinsically about it that we make that choice. However, you know, there was, uh, there was a clothing store in Manhattan called Sims. And they used to have a, a mantra that said, an educated consumer is our best customer. What does that mean? When are you the, a, a true and valid customer? When you understand what it is out there, what is out there in the world, and you choose to come to me. You could have gone to a, to a, a Joseph A. Bank clothing store, but you chose to come to me, Sims. So obviously there's something about um, there's something about um, the choice that a person makes in relationship to the knowledge behind it. So when Yistro comes along, besides everything else, before we even get to the, to the, to the Ten Commandments, he actually comes to Moshe and he's giving him advice. Okay, now listen to, think about this. This is a newcomer to this religion. And he's coming to Moshe, the leader of this religion, and he's telling you know, I got advice for you how to deal with your with your people. Okay, I mean, it sounds a little silly if you ask me. You know, where you you're just a newcomer over here, and yet Moshe comes along and says, yeah, you know, you got a good idea. We're going to follow your your advice. And in fact, Moshe says, I want you to come with us in our journey as we go to get the Torah. So. What is this? What, this, this? There's a lot of deep things going on in this parsha, in this parsha to understand, to get a better feeling as to why this has to precede the giving of the Torah. And that is, and that is, when Hashem comes to to us, and as it says, as it says in the, the Talmud, that He went to all the nations in the world and He asked them, "Do you want the Torah?" And every nation in the world had a reason why. It isn't for them. This one says, you can't steal. Well, that's what we live off of. This one can't murder. That's what we live off of. Everybody had an excuse why we, it isn't for us. But then, as the joke goes, they came to the Jews and he says, you want the Torah? And the Jews says, how much is it? And they said, nothing. They're supposed to give us two. <laughs> but anyway, short of the joke, when they came to the Jews, what did the Jews say? We will do. That was the first response. We will do, and then we will listen. What does that mean? In other words, sight unseen, the fact that we've witnessed whatever we've witnessed in the past, whatever we experienced in the past, we are ready to, to, to jump and do whatever you tell me. Tell me where and how much, and I'm, I'm ready to sign up. Okay? And actually, it says, we, we learned from last week's portion about the money. And all this, and, the, and going through the desert, all these things were means to get us to appreciate who Hashem is, to 
be able to appreciate and to accept Hashem and have that absolute faith in Him that He's out there primarily just to make sure that I have everything I need. In fact, when they when they came to the man, they were there they were two two things they were told that was kind of odd. It's um you cannot take more than one day's worth of food for the sixth day. And not only that, when it comes to the sixth day, you must only take you you may you shouldn't take only one day, you should take two days. Because for Shabbos there won't be any money. So there were two things that were kind of contradictory within this within the program itself. And yet whoever took more than they were supposed to, as it says it all became moldy. And the, the those then and for Shabbos they needed to take for two two days and that was that was what was said. So all these things and we see later in, in in Deuteronomy as well, the, the, the Torah tells us that the point of all this desert and man and all these things was to, to pain us and to test us to see if we are ready to but that wasn't enough we need a yisro to come along what does the yisro come along the yisro comes along and says you know what it's not enough actually to experience the man and it's not enough only to experience the desert you have to really if you really want to be accepting God, you really need to know what else is out there. When you know what else is out there, and you can make a choice, a clear choice, and say, no, I don't want those. Those things are not what God wants. <laughs> then you've made a choice. Okay? And that's akin to what we talk about, the concept of, of Noah, and we talk about the Baal Shuvah. We mentioned several times the concept of being somebody that has violated, so to say, God and gone astray, realizing he's gone astray, coming back and he does teshuvah, he, he repents for what his actions were. And I have to add this a lot of people use the phrase Baal Shuvah today as meaning somebody that has come back from their faith. But really, a Baal Shuvah is not does not define that person. That person is actually referred to as a Tinok Shanishba. It's a child that was taken captive in the world and he didn't, never had a Jewish education. And now he's coming back, he's coming to the fold of his faith. So that's what they are. They're not Baal I, I don't mean to, to, to diminish them, but they're not a Baal Shuvah. What is the Baal Shuvah? Actually, the Rambam, Maimonides tells us about Shuvah is somebody that actually is a great person. He's a, he's a tzaddik for the most part. He's a righteous person. It's just he failed in one element of in one aspect of his life, or two aspects, whatever it might be. And he does to Shuvah. He repents. He does. He, he 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 has regret for what he's done, and he works on himself so that he doesn't ever fail again. So that is about Shuvah. Which the Talmud tells us that where about Shuvah stands, even the greatest topic cannot reach. Why? Because this person failed. When we say failed, I don't necessarily mean to the context of failing and somebody that is a bad person, but rather he deviated from the program that he was supposed to be following. And, and he realized that he's, he's 
veered off, and he's coming back, and he's doing a tshuva, every regret, and acceptance upon himself, and the Rambam says that the tshuva is really a two-part process, one is the regret for what he's done, and the, the acceptance that from here on, he will not vote a fail again, and that is a big a challenge, because as the Rambam says, the way to test whether he has fulfilled that that is if he's brought to the same situation where he failed the last time and he does not fail this time, then we know that he's done a proper chuba. And then we can call him, quote unquote, a Baal chuba. Okay? So now let's look at Yisro. Yisro was, I'm not going to say he's a Baal chuba because he never failed. He never veered off any path. He was, he was, he was out there, he was not Jewish to begin with. And he was following whatever he, his heart desired, and he tried all the things. And but the thing is, he tried those things with a sincerity. He was looking for the true God, ultimately. And this is really what every one of us, whoever we might, wherever we might come from, our goal is to seek out the true God. And that's what Hashem wants of us: seek me, and I will show you who I am. And that's what He is. He wants you to find me. It's like a, a parent that's kind of testing the knowledge of the child and to see how willing is the child to look for her, for the parent. So the parent hides from the child and he says, I want you to find me. I'm going to run away. So the parent goes away and hides somewhere. Now we'll see how intelligent and how willing the child is to want to connect again with the parent. Is he going to go out? And to what extent is he willing to seek out the parents. And this is what Hashem does to us. He spreads us out throughout the world. He puts us in an exile. He wants every one of us, wherever we might find ourselves, we might find ourselves in Chile or in Guatemala or in, or in Saudi Arabia, wherever we might find ourselves. But ultimately Hashem wants us to seek Him. And when we seek Him, that's the ultimate goal of every one of us. And it's even it doesn't matter whether we are what faith we have, we have, we were born in or raised in. Ultimately, we seek Hashem, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. So now, when Yisro comes along and he says, "Now I recognize. Now I know, because I have seek, searched the world, and I have tested everything out there." And despite that, I realized, seeing what happened with Amalek and seeing what happened with the of the sea, now I see God. Now I know that this is the true God. And this is why we need to have this as a, as a precursor to the giving of the Ten Commandments. Because the only way Hashem can really give us the Ten Commandments is when you can sincerely say, now I know that you are the God. And that you are the, the, my, my God that I'm supposed to serve. When you're ready to say that, then you're ready to get the Torah. It's even a, a, a greater step than saying, Nas, nah, I will do. The doing is just, okay, I'm, 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 a, I'm a robot. You tell me to do this, I do this. You tell me to do that, I do that. Mechanical. Not, there's, no, there's no brain behind it. But when you, what Yusuf brought to the table was a knowledge, which knowledge is a, great, is a deeper understanding and deeper relationship with what it is we're doing. Sort of like the guy that goes and is going to try and fix his car. He has no clue what he's doing, but he's trying this, pulls out this wire, pulls that wire, and all of a sudden things are working. 
Thank you, Tommy says, oh, I'm happy I, I fixed the car. That, that means nothing compared to the person that knew what wire to pull and how far to pull it, where to, to put it. Then it's a different it's a different relationship to that to that mechanic so that he did. And this is the same thing with Yisro. What Yisro brought to the, to the picture, and we needed the Yisro. We needed that relationship as, as a, between the man and the giving of the Torah. Because the man tested us. Yes, it tested us. But that test was nothing more than a, than a, a physical test. Yisro was a spiritual test. We needed to have both elements of it in order to get to the giving of the Torah. Now, so having said that, let's look at the at the contrast between Yisro and Amalek. Because after all, one of the things that he says that now I know is because when he saw the war of Amalek, right? So if it's the war of Amalek, there must be some connection with Yisro and Amalek. What's interesting about them is that you know they tell a story about two two guys meet in the street. The first guy says, "Sorry, he says, Mr. Rappaport, you changed so much." He says, "Look at you! You lost weight. You got a facelift. You got a hair transplant. I wouldn't have known it was you." Another guy fellow says, "You know, I'm not Mr. Rappaport." The guy says, "Look at that! You even changed your name." <laughs> okay. The same thing is that it, the commentary explained that just as we're obligated to erase the name of Amalek, so too we're obligated to honor the name of Yisrael. So at first, it seemed to be very curious as just juxtaposition, but maybe we can explain it this way. Hasidic teachings tell us that Amalek represents an evil that is obstinate and unmoved by any information or experience that challenges its desires and desires. For example, Amalek wages war with the Jewish people despite knowing of the miraculous victory over Egypt. Conversely, Yisrael represents the very opposite character. When Yisrael learns no information that challenges his philosophy and way of life, he courageously acknowledged and incorporated it at great personal cost. And every one of us, and I'm going to say this, every one of us, no matter what background you have, where you're up to in your life, when you choose to connect to Hashem, just a step, a notch higher than you're raised with, all of a sudden, all your friends and, and neighbors and relatives shun you. Because huh, who are you to just move up a notch? Okay? But this is what Hashem wants of us. Let go of your neighbors. Cleave to me, Hashem says. Because when you cleave to me, you have life. That's what it says. When you cleave to me, then you have life all your life. 
But this is and this is what Yisro brings to the table. Yisro brings that that dynamic that we have to say, you know what? I'm ready to drop everything that I had before, just because this is the true God. This is really what Hashem wants. Us. And when when a person can move to that that level to say that I'm ready to drop my past and go up a notch. You know, in a pyramid. Let's look at a pyramid. So at the bottom, the bottom of the pyramid, it's kind of wide. So we'll just use an analogy. A person is on the bottom of the pyramid, so he has a lot of friends. A lot of friends are with him on the pyramid. As he goes up a notch, the friendship, the, the amount of friends kind of minimize, minimize, and minimize, till a person gets to the top of the, to the top of the, of the pyramid. What happens when he's on top of the pyramid? He's all alone. He's all alone. You know, the Tzemach said that one of the Lubavitch Rebbe's made a comment once when he became Rebbe. He said, the one thing that that bothers me as being a Rebbe is that I can't hang out with the guys anymore. So then he can hang out with the older rabbis and he can talk and get, get some insight as to what, what's going on. But now that he's become the Rebbe, he's sort of on the top of the pyramid. He can't, he can't play around with them. Same thing will happen with, with, with the president, president of the United States, whoever it might be. You know, as long as he was a senator or congressman or whatever it might have been beforehand, he has he has a group of friends that he can hang out with. Once he gets to the top of the, of the pyramid, he becomes president of the United States of America or any president of any country. He has no friends anymore. All those all those people kind of fall away, and he's kind of alone. And it's an it's an, isola- an isolationist position. Yeah, people are fighting for this. I don't know why, but regardless, <laughs> okay. And the point is, the point is, this is what Israel is saying. You have to be able to let go, let go of what you thought was important. Be open-minded. Be receptive. Be receptive to another approach, because this other approach might actually get you to where you need to get to. And this is what we, what happens when we recognize the CSRO. That's when we can go to the next part of getting the Torah. Because without that, we can't get the Torah. And, and again, before the before the giving of the Torah, there's an interesting verse that says, I'm giving the verse. Chapter 19, verse 6. It's a very powerful verse. He says, You shall be to me a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. Where does this come from? Where does this concept of a minister? It's a kingdom of ministers. Why is it a kingdom of ministers? But this is what Yisro was. He was a, a Midianite minister. And he recognized who Hashem is. So when if Yisro can let go of that ministry, quote unquote, to join and become a, 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 a servant of Hashem, Hashem says, no, you're not a servant anymore. You're not a servant of me. But rather, everyone is now going to become a, a, a kingdom of ministers. So we became elevated that level of a minister. What is a minister? 
what is a minister? A minister is somebody that that does the job that what I'm called the God, the, the the leader needs. You have an ashul, you have you have you have the Kohen, the Levi and the Israelite. The Kohen, he leads he 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 leads the the, the, the benediction. Priestly benediction benediction. Because he serves as the next from Hashem, basically. Look, Aaron was the, the high priest in the, in, the, in the temple, right? What was his What was his job? His job was to be ministering for the people to bring up offerings to Hashem. And this is and this is really why we are called ministers. We represent Hashem down here, and that's what Hashem wants of us. That you're not just you're not just a servant of Hashem. Even though in Torah we we find many times we refer to as either servants or children of Hashem. But the, the more importantly, what He wants of us is that we should be a kingdom of ministers. When we have a job of a minister. Now you're now you're somebody. Now you're not just an ordinary guy off the street, a servant of some sort. You're a minister of God. When you're a minister of God, let's look the hospital in the church. The minister is sort of like looked up to. He's like the, the father, quote unquote, whatever. He's sort of like the, the the figure that we need to look up to. So too, this is what Hashem wants of us. That every one of us, we don't need to have the guy with the collar or, or the guy with the with the robe. But every one of us has that mantle. And we have to appreciate that relationship with Hashem. And similarly, somebody that has not joined the fold of Judaism, but rather is still whatever faith they had before, but they chose, they choose to serve Hashem the way Hashem wants them to serve Him. Then the Talmud tells us that they are like the high priest. Why are they like a high priest? Because again, it's the same idea. You are recognizing that you're not a servant to Hashem, but rather you are His minister, ministering His word to the, the masses. And that's what Hashem wants of us. This is what Isaiah tells us, that we're supposed to be a light to the nations. What does it mean a light to the nations? Take the word of Hashem and show it to the world and teach it to the world so that they can appreciate who Hashem is. And they too should go and seek out Hashem. And that's what He wants of us. And then, once we can appreciate and get to the level that we are, that of that stature, that we are priests, ministers of Hashem, then Hashem says, in that case, I'm ready to give you the Ten Commandments. But now let's look at the Ten Commandments. The interesting is, the first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi, which means I. The Talmud tells us that the word Anochi is not a Hebrew word, but rather Anochi is an Egyptian word. So the question obviously is, why, if Hashem is coming down one time in life in history that Hashem is coming down from up above and he's making a union with the mountains below to connect with the people that are down here and he has something to tell me 
Why, of all words that he chooses, it's an Egyptian word. Now again, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of kind of put in some humor into this as well. We find this in, in in Numbers. We find a similar situation in Numbers when we read about the story of the donkey. When we come to the story of the donkey, what happens? And the donkey kind of crushes Balak's um, foot, Balak's foot, right? So what does he say? In chapter 22 in, in, in Numbers. And we're going to start from verse 24. So the angel of Hashem stood in the path of the vineyards, the fence on the side, the fence on that side. The she donkey saw the angel of Hashem and pressed against the wall, and it pressed the long leg against the wall, and he continued to strike it. The angel of Hashem went further and stood in a narrow place with no room to turn right or left. The she-donkey saw the angel of Hashem and crouched beneath Bulam. Bulam's anger flared and he struck the she-donkey with his staff. Hashem opened the mouth of the she-donkey and, and it said to Bulam, What have I done to you that you struck me these three times? Bilam said to the Shidanti, because you mocked me, if only there were a sword in my hand, I would not have killed you. The next verse is the verse I want to say. So the Shidanki said to Bilam, am I not your, your Shidanki that you have ridden all your life on Bilam's day? Have I been accustomed to such a thing for you? So here, think about this. Hashem makes a miracle that this donkey what does he say? You know what? I was your donkey all your life. <laughs> like, is that is that the wisest thing you can say? You have you, you have the ability to speak. That is that the best thing you can say? And on a, on a different level, the same thing is with Hashem. You're coming down. You're the highest of high. You're coming down on the on the mountain, and the whole the whole Ten Commandments is written in Hebrew. But the first word that you're going to speak to me is an Egyptian. Why? Because they had been in bondage for all those years, and they assimilated. Oh. Yeah, but that, that's not. But so then the rest of the, the whole Ten Commandments should be in it. In, in, in. That's true. Okay, but the first word he's telling me is Anoki, is an Egyptian. Why? And the answer is because because of this great event. Just. Uh, envision this concept of Hashem coming down on the mountain and it's like the most awesome thing that I've ever ha- has ever happened that I've ever witnessed. I can see the split in the sea. I saw all the, the, the plagues. I saw everything. But Hashem coming down on the mountain this is like beyond the point. So what happens? So instead of scaring me and start speaking to me in a language of Hebrew, Russian Kodesh, the Holy Tongue, he speaks to me in a language that I was in bondage. You're right. He starts the conversation in that language. He says, I. I in Egyptian. Now, the Talmud tells us about this. That there was a rabbi called Rabbah. And Rabbah, when he used to give a, a lecture, 
before he started the lecture, he would always say something humorous. Why? In order to get all of the students kind of on a, on a, on a level with the, with the rabbi. Because so, when, when I say something humorous, we can all laugh. We can all relate to that humorous concept. And then you say to yourself, look, if he can say something humorous and I can get it, so even the most lofty conversation that he's going to give me, I probably can get too. Whereas if you start off with this lofty conversation, I'm going to be blown away. I don't know where to, where to begin. How do, I, how do I tackle this? So by Rapa coming along and saying something humorous kind of brings, us, brings him down and us up. Similarly, Hashem. When Hashem comes down in this world, what does he do? The first thing is he relates to me as who I am, where I came from. Where did I come from? Egyptian bondage. So Hashem tells me, I, an Egyptian, I am God, you God. And this is an important lesson that Hashem wants to connect with us. And the way to connect with us is coming down to our level. That's the first step. So yes, we have to, on the one hand, um, move up a lot to reach to his level, to appreciate who he is. But at the same time, he comes down and meets us at a good way and kind of has that bridge for us. And that's why it says that he came down on Mount Sinai. Now, the question is that, Mount Sinai, if anybody knows about mountains, Mount Sinai is not such a high mountain. It's actually one of the lowest mountains. So if you're coming down on the mountain, why don't you go on Mount Everest? What are you going on Mount Sinai for? And if the idea is you want to come low, so when you need a mountain fall, you got to go in the desert. But the point is that Torah is of that stature. Torah is, on the one hand, it's high, it's above who we are as people. But don't think that you have to climb Mount Everest to get to the Torah. You can get to the Torah even at a Mount Sinai, at a low mountain, but you have to make the climb. And all these things point to what Israel has done. And that's why the, the, the Parsha that re relates to us, the Ten Commandments, is important. It's imperative to name the Parsha by the name of Yisrael, to show that a Yisrael, even though he was that person, as a minister by the Midianites, nonetheless, he was able to reach a height that not only, not only did he, did he um, merit to have a son-in-law as Moses, which then itself is a, is a great merit, but in fact, it's his Parsha that gives us the, the opening to the giving of the Ten Commandments. We should all merit that we, each of us should think, look into ourselves and say to ourselves, look, if Yisro, he went to the farthest extreme to get to, to, to seek out Hashem, and his ultimate decision was that Hashem is our God, and he's the one I want to follow. Every one of us, we started off a little closer maybe to Hashem than Yisro started. We too should really think about ourselves that we should up the notch a little bit on a, on a regular basis to try and up that ability to connect with Hashem at a higher level. And ultimately, we'll merit that as, as Yeshaya says, that we'll see the glory of Hashem, that every one of us will be able to see it, and then we'll 
see how Hashem is speaking to us individually in a language we understand and that He can relate to He and to put us together with Him speedily in our day. I have a question. Okay, so it's probably obvious why this particular Parsha is very exciting and interesting for somebody like me um, not being Jewish. You know, I I feel like I I have some questions. Um, What kind of, what kind of gear was Yitzro? Um, I guess is my first question. Um, It's confusing about how he received the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments aren't for somebody like me. Um, I'm not arguing that, you know, I I would just like to, to not be so confused by him in particular, you know, because he's coming into the situation I mean, he sees all of the seas and all of the the rivers and lakes. Everything's parted when the Reed Sea parts. So it made an impression on him. He decides that he's following the God of Moshe. And I assume then that he receives the Ten. So it's confusing as to why, like, what about the other Egyptians that maybe, you know, uh, fled with the Hebrews and they're at Mount Sinai. Did they receive the 10 or was there a separate teaching and separate something for them? Were they placed in a different part of the camp and then Moshe had more of like the universal laws for them but not the Ten Commandments for them? It's confusing. Well, as far as I know, that everybody that was at the Mount Sinai got the ten. Okay? It's what happened throughout the generations that, that has been kind of lost throughout the system. But those and again, there was this the the the, the Medrash said well actually the question is does it, does it we'll cover the question. The question is the the phrase used in the Talmud is the Ger Shinaskaya. It says a convert that converts, which seems kind of strange. It should be a non-Jew that converts, not a convert that converts. Mm. Why does it say Why does it say a convert that converts? So the Medrash actually says that all the nations, although Hashem came to all the nations and asked them if they want the Torah, and for the most part they declined. Nonetheless. Among the nations of the world, there were individuals from different nations that said, hey, look, you guys don't want it? That's fine. You can go away. But I want it. And they hung out with the Jews at Mount Sinai. And those are the converts of today. Those people, and that's why they're called the converts are converted, because they were converts back then. Mm. It's just that they weren't part of the fold because they never really accepted everything completely. But they would, so, and, or they, they, did, they did accept everything at the time, but they kind of fell to the wayside as, as generations came down and down, later farther down. To the point where today we're so far removed, like 120 generations away from the Torah. So now the 
person that's coming back who wants to convert, they're just nothing more than they were a convert at the earlier stage. Mm. Now they're coming back. And if I answered your question. No, that was that's interesting. Um, I mean, because it's, you know, there's some discussion, like, uh, among the the Garatosha of people, there's some discussion that, you know, he, he remained, uh, he didn't become a Jew then, and that he remained uh, Garatosha. And actually, there is, actually, there is a there is a there is a disagreement disagreement in whether Israel actually took on a full, full conversion. Mm-hmm. Because in fact, because in fact, the Medrash says something very interesting. That he made a condition. Interesting, listen to this. He made it a, a condition with with his with Moses taking his wife, his daughter, as a wife. And the condition was he made two conditions. The first was that only one of their sons would be allowed to be circumcised. The other one was not. What? Yep. Yep. The second condition was even more puzzling than the first. That was that the first child they had would need to be raised in the tradition of idolatry. Ah. Uh, yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So we, again, again, like a bittersweet relationship with Israel. But, but again, this shows the dynamic of this person. Yeah. That it, He's like, I'm accepting, but you know what? About 100%. Well, it's kind of foreshadowing too, in a way, because if you have situations like this, like let's say our group, and we have non-Jews and, and Jews in the same group, then you have people coming from, like directly from the church, or maybe a non-denominational church, or maybe they're just getting started interested. So you have like uh, a variety pack of people where they are on the journey right um but still that's surprising to me to to hear i don't i don't think i knew that right that's it was, it was a shocker when i came across that too mm-hmm. but then again when you look at the names of the children the first one was gershon because he says i was a gear <laughs> in a foreign land right this kid was not a foreigner. He wasn't a foreigner. But on the, the flip side, Eliezer, the next son, because God was at that, my, my, the help of my father. My father's God was my, as my help. So it's like, even the names rep- showed that that message is pretty accurate. Yeah. It's it's still like so puzzling to me. Like those are the things I take long walks and I'm just trying to understand and think about. Like that that will puzzle me for a while. Yeah. Hey, Sonia, this is a really, uh, echoing your thoughts, and Rabbi, thank you for your your comments today, as always. But I agree with you, Sonia, this is really a good uh, teaching this week, specifically for people that are maybe coming in, you know, to uh, questioning where they are with their their walk with Hashem. And, you know, I was just taking some notes down, Rabbi, of some of the comments you've made, how I did them justice. But, you know, Yuthro was uh, seeking out the true God, um, and, you know, it was important that uh, he had to let go of what he thought was important. He had to be open to another approach. And then ultimately, you know, uh, Torah is so high, but, um, you know, Hashem will come 
meet you where you are. And I think those are all excellent points and takeaways for somebody who's starting the journey, you know, maybe into uh, where we are at this point, Sonia. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, not only for you, for you, for, for David and Sonia, it's for every one of us. Yeah. We all, we all have a journey connect, want to connect to Hashem. So wherever we're at, Hashem says, you know, come a little bit and I'll come a lot. But I think yes. maybe that's that was also the whole point of Yitzro, that we had to have him so that there could be the capacity for us to come to Torah. Broader, broader, absolutely, for a broader spectrum of people. Mm-hmm. Because if you had the Hasidic rabbi over there, instead of Yisro telling Moshe what to do and how to do things, it would be okay, the Hasidic rabbi. What does that mean to the, to the simple person with the Gentile that's on the street? Nothing. I, 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 don't, I can't relate to this rabbi. The yeah. need of the Yisro to see every religion and he can relate to me because the Buddhism, okay, he was in Buddhism. I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. So I can relate to Yisro or whatever else I am, whatever else I'm related to. I, I can relate to Yisro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, it does uh, ring a bell of truth when you were just like reading through it. And, you know, I was sort of on the other side and, to the best of my ability, I I tried to receive that doctrine the best I could and uh, didn't see this detour coming at all, really. Uh, but it was just in that seeking the truth where, you know, you keep stumbling on things that didn't make sense. And if anything, Torah does not contradict itself. It's very clear. And so uh, it, it just rings true that you you know it's that journey of seeking hashem and uh thankfully in his mercy he's made uh, a path you know even if it <laughs> it's just kind of popping up one stone at a time it it will get you to the place that you want to be absolutely okay very like good powers wants to say a few words excellent oh Mark? I'm good. Oh. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> oh, there. <laughs> okay. Well, Mark, you're you're not um, unfamiliar with a lot of these. Um, I mean, this is this has kind of been. It seems like recently you you've had a lot of people coming to you, and it's kind of this parsha, <laughs> you know, like all over. So um, appreciate both of you. Anybody that has been given the, uh, I guess, the choice, opportunity, uh, I won't call it a curse, but <laughs> to uh, be put into a place where you're fielding these kinds of questions. If it was not for people like you, uh, it would cost somebody like me uh, years and years and years of discovery because there's just so much of a learning curve. So much appreciated. I think we're all on a learning curve. True. Uh, I don't think the learning, the learning ever stops. Nope. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just that um, we've reached a point in time in, in history where um, the Jewish community is open uh, more so than perhaps before to uh, people who are not uh, Jewish or interested in, in finding out what Hashem has to say. Um, 
Yeah, I, you're right. I, I deal with it almost every day. I'm dealing with it, believe it or not, while we're online here. So uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a little, um, sometimes a little overwhelming. Yeah. Well, because you keep going into conversations. Say, would say What's that? But I would say it's rewarding, though. But I would yeah. say it's rewarding, though. Extremely so. Extremely so. Yeah. I've had... Uh, I've had some amazing things happen as a result of conversations that I had 10 and 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because after such a, you know, road, uh, you find yourself out of, you know, um, Christianity and all of that for many, many years. And it's the subjects that... I don't want to revisit is it's the one that I get to revisit all the time with people <laughs> because you know I can't just push off from where I'm at now you, you know right. yeah well, well what I see is that um, certain themes uh, reappear um, time and time again you know they'll disappear for a while then they'll show up again and you know you you have to revisit it muzzle so, <laughs> yeah. just from yeah. a different trajectory maybe totally different trajectory mm-hmm. but uh, you know it, and and it's primarily because um, nothing has really changed in 2000 years the questions are the same uh, that they were 2000 years ago the questions that uh, uh, non-jews raise and uh, of course the answers that uh, that we've had are the same that we've had for the past 2000 years you know nothing nothing new under the sun Mm-hmm. Um, we can we can always tell when there's a a um, a new batch of uh, quote unquote believers running through because they always run up the flagpole the same group of questions. Yeah. Well, they start at the bottom and work their way up, <laughs> or start at the top and yeah, work their way down. Going the other way. Yeah, going right to the <laughs> the tough questions. Um, but it, it's all good. It just shows, you know, Hashem in his great mercy, he loves all people. And he's, uh, we all have the spark of Hashem in us and it drives us to truth. And, uh, hopefully we get there before we've damaged ourselves so much that we are hardened and can't, can't see truth or hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, this is Mark here. I actually have a question. Uh, you mentioned about Buddhism. I have to tell you um, that I actually have one of my cousins in the family is actually what they call a Jubu. Mm. And what that, he studied, probably got into it, studied for Eastern Religion College. And actually he's now a practicing, he has a practice in acupuncture, as they call it. And my question is, I, in my stomach, I talked to him one time and I asked him, I only had one conversation, 20 minutes, that's all I could stand when it comes to four Eastern religions of this sort. And he said he has his own pillow, he follows his own whatever. It doesn't follow a particular school of Buddhas or whatever. How do you deal with that? Because they, they're they not even in a linear, they're in a cycle. It's hard to deal with somebody and even the family because they're not even they're not even connected at all, if you know what I mean. So how do you deal with a Jubu or Hindu or those of the for East variety. It's very difficult. Go ahead. I'll yield to Mark Powers. 
Thank you so much. Uh, well, you know, there are there are some basic questions that are endemic to wherever these people are holding, and um, what you really have to do is find out uh, why they came to where they are, what it is that brought them there, and it's that information which helps you to understand what it what is needed to help them find the truth. Uh, there's no there's no magic formula. Um, everybody is different. Everybody came to where they are through a different path. Uh, you know, if it was if it was as easy as um, you know one one magic path, then we'd have very little to worry about. Uh, you just give them the the, the answer and, and you're done with it. But that's that's not how it works. Um, more than likely there was something other than the belief system that got them involved with Buddhism. Uh, there was something that spoke to them and, and what you have to do is, is find out what that is and um, you know, utilize that uh, information to show them the truth in Judaism. I had an experience in uh, South Africa once where I was asked to speak to a, a woman who had gotten involved with a, a particular uh, fundamentalist church group. And, and um, you know, I didn't know where she was coming from and so forth and so on. And she came in, sat down, and after about three minutes of normal conversation, she goes into a... The spirit has spoken to me, and she carries on like this for about 45 minutes. I'm listening to this, and I'm I'm trying to decide whether I should laugh out loud because it was really it was wild, or if I should approach it another way. And you know, about 40 minutes into it, I decided the best way for me to approach it is to give back to her what she was giving to me. And so I did some of the, ooh, yes, and the spirit has shown. And I went on like that for about 20 minutes. And at the end of it, she came out of this, whatever it was, and she looked at me and she said, wow, that was a great, great experience for me. I've never had that type of experience before. Can we continue the conversation? And so we did. So, you know, you, you never know going in um, what the answer is. It's different for everyone. And Mark, I would just add, um, Mark, Mark from Baltimore, I would just add, um, yeah. you know, because I've had that same experience where... Uh, there was a period of time where my stomach would just churn when I would get into these discussions with, um, you know, very adamant Christians about the, the error of my ways or whatever. And I, I came to discover that that was really on my part. I'm not saying yours at all, but mine, it was kind of ego, uh, I had to realize that one, I've been given a gift of some, of being able to see some truth. 
and this person has not yet. So for me to uh, be uncomfortable, uh, it's it's kind of, uh, that's not my place. I mean, I was uncomfortable. The whole process was uncomfortable, but, you know, I feel like some some patience is is definitely merited, and also, I think it it's part of my growing to be able to articulate and and be uh, you know Hashem obviously allowed that conversation to start because he wanted to include both parties because he allowed it, and there are some things with a, a Buddhist that are very, very similar to Judaism, um, karma versus mazel. It's very, very similar. Um, the, the laws of attraction, you know, that's a very, um, you know, it's a Jewish concept and, uh, rabbis have, you know, written about it very, very, um, detailed and these are things that you know buddhists could relate to so it just could be maybe there's some there's some ground some common ground that would be surprising for your jubu cousin uh you know uh, just starting with with karma and mazel and realizing that you know there there's truth and the truth, people know it when they hear it and uh, come in contact with Hashem's truth. It's different than any other kind of truth. And they may not show it on the outside in that conversation, but it might be something that sits with them for a while, it might be something they research later, and you never know what word you will say that will stay with them and they'll you know, develop that at a later time. Absolutely correct. Of course, you have to... You have to be very, very careful that their karma doesn't run over your dog bone. Right, I understand. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank, thank you for that, Mark. I only yield it to you because I figured you usually, you have dealt with more of these than I have. The only, uh, But I will add one thing. It's not an addition, but the way I approach it is typically I let you do the talking. Your talking gives me the tools. To how you got into it, and that's always, always, that's yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize that early on when I first started trying to talk to rabbis. That uh, one side was extremely quiet, and the obligation was really only to answer the question that I asked. And I just pontificated for a whole long time, and probably never got around to asking a question, so it was never really fruitful. Um, but I didn't realize that that's how it works. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining. I'll see you guys. Oh, next week I won't be doing it because next week I have to fly out after the Florida house to see the favorite Torah. Oh, okay. Very good. Um, would you like to just uh, skip over then Mishpatim and and start okay. with a different one when you come back? Okay. Or yeah, we'll see when we get back. We'll, we'll get all right. I think I'll touch on Mishpatim next week, or the following week, because Mishpatim is one I don't want to miss up on. Okay. <laughs> yep. Sounds good. Very good. All right. Well, thank All you, right. everybody. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Hello. Yeah. Bye. Right. Code it.